Hello, everybody. <clears throat> I'm Lex. I'm Britt. And this is Stark Raving Madness. So today, this is our third time recording this. Not going to lie to you guys, we actually had something planned special for... For it to not know about the case. Yeah, now I must definitely know about the case, but it's still crazy and it's, it's still interesting. It's still very crazy, very interesting. So most definitely, like... Yeah, you guys are going to enjoy this one. We had some audio difficulty. We tried a new editing program that did not work out in our favor. Yeah, so, no. so we're going to stick with Anchor. Yeah. yeah, Anchor is working out perfectly. Perfectly for us. So today... <clears throat> We are going to be talking about the Yuba County Five. And actually, yesterday, I was getting my hair cut with my aunt and uncle. Because my aunt does my hair. And I was telling her about this story. Yeah. And she was like, holy crap, like, what is this? And I hear my uncle <clears throat> chime in from across the room. Like, we're in the kitchen. He's in the living room. Chimes in. He's like, are you guys talking about the Yuba County Five? Those, and I was like, yeah, man. And so, like, we, like, talked about it. He gave me his input. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, which is nice. It's nice to have people in my family. Yeah, not a lot of people in my family know about this, I don't think. Yeah. So, anyway, a little fun tidbit is my uncle's cool one. Uh, <laughs> so, the Yuba County Five are men from Yuba City, California. And they all had mild intellectual disabilities. And they were Bill Sterling, Jack Hewitt, Ted Weiher, which I'm sure I'm mispronouncing that, Jack Madruga, and Gary Mathis. And because there's two Jacks, uh, I will refer to them as Jack H and Jack M. Okay. And they were in the ages of 24 to the oldest being 32. So it started off on February 24, uh, 1978. Uh, the boys are set out to attend a basketball game at the California State University in Chico. Um, Jack M, Jack H, Ted, and Bill had been friends for years. They met through the Gateway Projects, which is an organization for adults with special needs. Um, Jack Betcham, who was the Yuba County, uh, sheriff at the time, he actually said, you know, they were almost inseparable. They would pal around together. They were athletic, very well-liked, very well-respected. They were nice kids, nice people. So... I'm going to get a little bit of a backstory about these, uh, these boys. Okay. Um, Jack M, he worked as a dishwasher at a dried fruit company called Sunsweet Growers. Um, he landed Bill Sterling a job there. And, you know, the family members told investigators that Jack M was merely slow in his thought process. He could manage his own finances and he had remarkable service as a army truck driver from 1966 <laughs> to 68. And him and Gary were actually the only two that had driver's license and could drive. So they're, they don't have as hard of a time, like, 
as the others. Right. From what I'm understanding, the only one that was like most, like he was like the most handicapped on all of them was, uh, was Hewitt. Okay. Was, was Jack H. Um, he actually couldn't read, he couldn't write or dial a telephone. Um, he depended on his mother and Ted, whom he had known for eight years. Okay. Right. So <clears throat> he was known as a very shy, quiet boy. Um, he didn't really like to be away from home, especially overnight, which is very important. And actually, uh, Gary was very different from the rest of them. Um, he had been like the lead singer in a local band and he played football in high school. So he was like outgoing. outgoing. Right. He was outgoing and he didn't really have the same uh, social issues, social issues and intellectual disabilities that the other four had. Okay. Um, the only thing that was really wrong with him is he was a diagnosed paranoid schizophrenic, which is actually what led him to being discharged from the army. Okay. I see. That's a lot. Right. So that's, that's a little Um, that was really his only issue. So, you know, after the game had ended on, uh, the 24th, uh, it ended around 10 PM. So they left pretty, pretty quickly after the game, they left and they stopped three blocks away at a market and bought a hostess cherry pie, one lemon pie and one Snickers bar, one marathon bar, two Pepsis and a quart and a half of milk. So pretty much like junk food. junk Junk food. food. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so they didn't return. That was actually the last time anybody saw them. Was after they went to the store after the game? Right, yeah. That's that store is the last place anybody saw them. Um they actually did they have like cameras or anything? Yeah, so the clerk told them that he was a bit annoyed by the the men coming in. Yeah. The store because it was like right before closing. So he was actually a bit annoyed. Oh, and he remembered them, yes. Yes. Yeah. So, I mean, I would remember that too. Right. So when they failed to return the next day, the, the boy's parents were very concerned. You know, they started calling around. Well, yeah. I parents, mean, as you would be. Yeah. Being like, hey, you see, you know, is, is Jack home? Is Bill home? Is yeah. Ted home? Is Gary home? And none of the parents had heard from their boys. So right away, you know, that was pretty unusual for them because they had this basketball game that they were playing in. It was part of like. Uh, a tournament that they were doing with the, the group that they were in. Yeah. And they were excited about it. You know, uh, it said that they had laid their clothes out um, for the next day. And that Ted had actually asked his mom to wash his new white high top sneakers for the game and repeatedly asked her to make sure that he didn't oversleep. So, you know, they were all excited about this game and wanted to go so it's not like they wouldn't just so yeah they didn't just like up and decide not to come home for yeah. whatever reason you know yeah so right away the police began investigating which is really unusual for police because a lot of cases you see that they don't yeah they really usually need... like hold out for a while right but I'm thinking that because these men were were mentally yeah they were a little mentally disabled there was more of a pressing matter of concern for them Especially since well, yeah, none of them they had can't, really they done can't necessarily take care of themselves. Right. And that's unusual with adults. You don't really yeah. see not that they can't take care of themselves, but the fact that it's unusual that they immediately send out a search party because that never happens. Um so they they began searching and on January twenty eighth they found
So on February 28th, they found Jack Kim's car abandoned on an unpaved road near Orville. The car was found two and a half hours from Chico in the opposite direction of the road on the of the, of the route they would have taken to get home. The roads leading into the Plumas National Forest are rough and bumpy, and the rescue vehicles used during the search have some damage done. So what's weird is that Jack M's car barely had any scratches on his undercarriage when it was found, like none whatsoever. Yeah. So investigators believe that whoever was driving the road was driving knew the road well enough to navigate cleanly in the dark. Jack M would not have let anybody else drive his car, and he wasn't familiar with the area. He also hated camping in the cold, which most of them did. Like, none of them really liked camping and really didn't like the cold. Yeah, so that's what's, like, weird right. for them. So, yeah. So, forest rangers searched the area for five days, but soon after the search began, a severe blizzard moved into the area that led to mm -hmm. nine inches of snow dropped on the upper mountain. So yeah, it made them, right. It made it pretty impossible for them to search, and they almost lost two members of the search team looking for this. Okay. Yeah. So this so is where, pretty extreme, right? This is where the story Water. gets kind of really interesting, actually. So there's a, a man called Joseph Scrons contacted the police after he heard about the disappearance to say he had seen the men between. 11 p.m. and 12 a.m. on the Friday that the group had disappeared. He was driving up the gravel road to his cabin when his car became stuck in the snow, and while he was trying to push his car out, he actually suffered a heart attack. That's wild. Right. So the story from here is a little confusing. In one version, while he lay in his car at about 11.30, he saw two sets of headlights coming up behind him. One was a car and the other a pickup truck. He got out of his car to flag them down, but the car stopped about 20 feet from him. Um, he said that the passengers got together in one car and then left. So Joseph spent the rest of his night in the car before walking down the mountain in the morning. In a second, more kind of weird version. While Wait, he was, so he had a heart attack? He had a heart and attack. And he just like laid back down in his car and waited until the morning to go to the hospital? I guess he was kind of waiting for it Can to kind of come. That? Depending on how hard it is. Like, depending on how severe that attack is, I guess. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So, in the second version, he said that while he was in the car, he heard whistling noises and saw what he thought was a group of men and a woman with a baby walking in the light of another okay. vehicle's headlights. Right. right. So, Joseph, <laughs> no, <thank> called, <laughs> Joseph called for help, and the lights turned off, and the whistling sound stopped. A few hours later, he saw flashlight beams outside his car, But the lights went out immediately. Joseph stayed in his car until it ran out of gas and walked eight miles down to get help, passing Jack M's car on the way. He didn't think much about what he'd seen until he heard about the disappearances. Also, inter interestingly enough, a woman reported seeing the five men in a red pickup truck on Saturday and Sunday, about an hour's drive from the side of their abandoned car. She owned a store there where two of the men came in to buy food. One of them made a phone call from a nearby phone booth, and the other two stayed in the truck. Then, nothing for months was else was discovered as the spring snows melted on the mountains. So, in June of 1978, a man was riding his motorcycle through the area when he noticed a broken window on a Forest Service trailer. The trailer, okay. yeah, the trailer was located about 19 miles up the mountain from where the car was found. 
19 miles? Yeah, and 19 miles in the heavy snow is really... Yeah, that's a way... Yeah, that's a big hike without, like, proper snowshoes and stuff like that. So, a Forest Service snowcat ran up the road to the trailer on July 23rd, which could have left a packed path in the snow that the men might have followed. So, that would explain how they could have gotten up there. You know what I mean? Okay, so, yeah. yeah. So, prior yeah. to that, uh, on the 23rd, they had had... Okay. Yeah. That makes more sense. Yeah. So, inside the trailer, they found the body of Ted. Um, and the search and rescue began looking in the area around the trailer. Um, it actually appeared that Ted had lived around 8 to 13 weeks after his disappearance. Yeah. Yeah, based on the length of his beard and the 100-pound weight loss. Yeah, so he weighed... Yeah, so he weighed just about 120 when he died. Eight to 13 weeks would be... Yeah, it'd be like two and a half months, almost four months. Almost three months, I mean, yeah. So... He literally just weighed just around 120 when he died. Several bed sheets and a shroud were tightly tucked over his body, which indicated that someone else had been in there with the tra- with him in the trailer, because he could have bundled himself up like that. Yeah, no. His leather shoes were often missing. Um, a table by the bed held his nickel ring with Ted engraved on it, his gold necklace, his wallet, which had cash inside, and a gold Waltham watch with its crystal missing, which the family say didn't belong to any of the five men. Yeah. The crystal? Yeah, the crystal is missing out of this watch. Okay. Yeah, so Ted's feet were also badly. Okay. But here is where the story gets even weirder. So inside the trailer, they found heavy clothing, matches, playing cards, books, wooden furniture and other materials which could have easily been used to start a fire but there'd really been no apparent attempt despite how cold it would have been uh you know there was a propane tank quick question right was there proof that there was everybody else at this cabin like in it no but they just found him but where they found Spoiler alert, where they found the rest of the bodies uh-huh. indicated that they probably could have been in there as well, I guess. I'm assuming. Okay. I don't know. So, there was a propane tank that was connected to the trailer, which would have provided a ready source of heat for, you know, for cooking and stuff. Yeah. But it wasn't touched. They could have literally had trailer or had yeah. heat in the trailer. Had trailer had heat in the trailer and gas to cook on, you know, but they they didn't turn it on, yeah. And in a storage shed outside, there was a year's supply of like seed rations, which were individual canned, pre cooked, and prepared meals that the U.S. issued, you know. Um, the men consumed 36 of the meals but left the majority of them untouched. In addition, there was a huge supply of freeze dried meals. But one of the sea ration cans had been opened with an Army P-38 can opener, which I think they said that Gary carried on him at all times. So Gary oh, okay. was, right. yeah. 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 So okay. Gary was around, it seems like. 
Um, the day after Ted's body was found, searchers found the remains of Jack M. and Sterling. Uh, Jack M. had been partially eaten by animals and dragged about 10 feet to a stream. And yeah. to a stream? Yeah, like to a stream, like he was by the side of the water. Oh, okay. Yeah. He was face up with his right hand curled around his watch. Um, Sterling was found in a wooded area scattered over 50 feet and nothing was left of him but his bones. Uh. Yeah. And two days later, off the same road but closer to the trailer, uh, Hewitt's father found his son's backbone. Wait a minute. Why was he clinging his watch? I don't know. Maybe... Because wasn't the watch like a weird thing in the cabin, dude? I mean, they found out of the watch. I mean, I, I I don't have any resources on why he would be. Maybe he just was holding himself like this to kind of. Oh, okay. And I, I know the. I know that nobody I can see it. Yeah. Like laying out this, like, trying to protect his watch. Maybe he was kind of just holding it like this to like kind of get warmth, and his hand just kind of curled around his watch. Oh, okay. Yeah. I gotcha. I gotcha. So. Okay. Jack Hewitt's father yeah. found his son's backbone, as well as a pair of Levi's and Ripple Soul Get Their Shoes, which I'm assuming were his specific shoes. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then the assistant sheriff at the time found a skull the next day around 100 yards downhill from the bones. Yeah. Yeah, and the family dentist used that skull to identify that the remains were indeed Jack Hewitt. Yeah, and so Hewitt's remains are located northeast of the trailer, like Sterling's and Jack M's. And northwest of the trailer, about a quarter mile away, they found three wool service blankets and a two-cell flashlight. Um, the flashlight was rusted and turned off, and it was kind of impossible to tell how long it had been there. And the weird thing is, is there was no sign of Gary Mathis or his body. So he's just like gone. Yeah, he's just gone. Um, but his tennis shoes were inside the trailer, so, so that was obviously there. Yeah, that led investigators to think that he had left them there and took Ted's shoes instead, since his feet were bigger, and assumed that Gary's feet might have been swollen from frostbite. Okay. And although the bodies were badly decomposed, the autopsy results determined that they had died from exposure and, I guess, starvation. You know, Ted obviously was very malnourished and stuff. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, Jack M's mother said that, you know, something would have had to made them go up there. Like, they wouldn't have just gone, gone into the woods, there, yeah, right, by themselves. Right. You know, she said that they can't visualize someone getting the upper hand on those five men, but that must have been what had happened. And Ted's sister in law actually thinks that they might have seen something at the game or in the parking lot. And, you know, didn't realize that they'd seen it. Yeah. Because to them, that's the only thing that makes sense about what could have happened to these these boys. Yeah. But there's actually two theories that are floating around about that that we're going to get to in a minute. So, you know, pretty much anybody that dealt with this case thought it was extremely bizarre. Especially considering the fact that the car was left open. And, like, the window was rolled down, which 
Jack's mom insisted he would have never done because he was so protective and so yeah. weird about his car. He wouldn't have left the window yeah, down. Yeah, I mean, not a lot yeah. of people like to do that. Yeah, and there was gas in the tank and it worked. Like, there was no reason for them to just up and leave. So, they were out of the car with the window down. Yeah. And they and, just, like, went to the woods for animals. And the keys were gone. But, you know, maybe with the, the keys? Yeah. Okay. Maybe the car had gotten stuck and they were trying to oh, find okay. right 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 okay. so there's yeah, a theory the yeah there's a theory that uh gary convinced the group to head to For forbstown which is an area between chico and the mountain road so that he could visit a friend you know maybe jack m could have missed a turn off and gotten lost and maybe the mercury which is was his vehicle could have gotten stuck in a snowbank and you know they could have panicked and believed that they needed to go get help yeah. Which could explain all the weird stuff. But, however, there is also another theory. Oh. So, there's another theory that Gary was in possibly involved in kind of their ultimate demise. Okay. So there is an article that I found that I actually used some of my resources that around the time kind of released that they were given permission to access the police records in the case as long as they did not photograph or take them out of the Yuba County Sheriff's Office. Yeah. And it said that they found information in the records that would indicate that it was possible that Gary wasn't exactly portrayed in the media the right way. So, what they found, basically, a rundown, was that the files, clips, and interviews shape a pretty disturbing image of Gary. Uh -huh. um, they, said that, they said that he was violently schizophrenic and had a issue of drug use. And he really wasn't, like I said earlier, he wasn't intellectually disabled like the others. Yeah. So, he right, he was new to the group. He'd only been there about a year before... Like I said, like a year before they went missing. Yeah. So the other ones are tight-knit. Um, apparently, he had, like after he got discharged, he kind of went downhill after that. It said that when he was in jail, he called over a guard and punched him in the face. And apparently that same month when he was staying at his cousin's house and the cousin's wife was like sleeping after taking some medications or some kind of illness, you know, Gary was like, oh, I got to go to the restroom. Well, it was taking him a little bit of time in the restroom. And his cousin began to kind of worry. So he like went looking for him and found him fondling his wife. And, you know, the cousin was like, I want you back in jail. Kicked him out, whatever. I don't know if he went back to jail. Yeah. This is what this article is saying. Yeah. And I don't know how true this is. So we're just going to take it with a grain of salt. Assuming this is all true, you know. But so a few months later, he was arrested for threatening to stab a woman in the jaw and then telling the woman's three-year-old child that, quote, I thought I'd kill you once. I guess I'll have to do it again. Okay. Yeah. Gary also had a history of breaking out of facilities and walking long distances. Right. So after being arrested in Stockton at one point, he went to a psychiatric facility where he spent two days there before breaking out through a drainage pipe and walking and hitchhiking the 80 miles back home. 
And at one point, he also left to live with his grandmother in Northern Oregon. And his mother begged him to return home, but he just hung up the phone on her. But he showed up a few weeks later filthy and claimed that he had walked from Portland, selling milk off of porches and eating dog food to stay alive on the 540-mile trip. So this dude has some Right. So the final violent incident occurred a few weeks after his trip back home. He broke into the home of a local couple, and the couple awoke to find Gary standing in their bedroom. He told him that he was looking for a ring to return to Satan and that they also owed him rent money because the house was his, which sounds like a schizophrenic, paranoid, you know, kind of incident. But after that, he supposedly straightened out. That's when he joined the Gateway Projects and he became friends with the four other men. But some people were still very wary of him. So... Ted's brother, Dallas, kind of stated that he thought that something or someone killed the boys. And when he was asked if he thought that Gary had set his brothers and the uh, other, his brother and the other others up to die. Dallas said that, you know, that's the only thing that makes sense. And he recalled that the hit 90s television series, Unsolved Mysteries, sought the involved family's permission to do an episode on the missing five sometime after the disappearance. And every family agreed except Gary's, despite him still being missing. And from what I have found, it seems that his family kind of has just assumed him dead. It's been 40 years, you know, people would have seen him by now. If anything, you know, if he was still alive and a blizzard, no matter how good of a survivorless you are, that's hard to survive. Yeah. You can't really, unless you're just some kind of inhumane creature, you're not going to be able to survive a, a blizzard like that. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm assuming they think he's dead, which they thought that that was suspicious that Gary's family didn't want to do anything, like didn't want to partaking uh, it. Yeah, it is kind of if you look at it from a perspective of like if he's still alive and they know it, but they could also be like But like I don't think it's too suspicious because maybe they just want it to be done with. Like why would you keep dragging up you don't you didn't get closure like the other five yeah, other four, you know? Maybe they're just looking at it that way. Yeah. So <clears throat> that's a theory is that maybe he had like a psych psychotic break and just why wouldn't they come out though and just be like we don't think he did just to claim his because I don't know if that's something that had recently came up or not you know maybe the maybe just Ted's family had that suspicion and maybe nobody else really did but if you don't, if nobody back them, they might not have thought about that, you know, and it That's seems true. like now people That's are true. looking into the case. They could think that possibly he could have had something to do with it. Not saying it was intentional. Well, but, yeah, but I mean, he could have had like a breakdown. Right. He could have had a break. And so with Joseph, when, you know, he's calling for help, maybe. Yeah. And Gary said, if he's having an episode, he's thinking that's bad and they've got to get away which would explain why he went uphill and they didn't go downhill for help oh you because he was trying to save right it doesn't make sense that they were going up instead of down 
Like, if you're stranded, you would walk in the opposite. Right, right. I can see that. Right. It just, this is just such a weird case. Right. You know, maybe he was trying to save them and accidentally ended up causing their death. Yeah. But, yeah, either way that you look at it, this case is wild and bizarre, like everybody has said. You know, this is. Like the last thing doesn't make any sense. The fact that Ted starred when there was food all yeah, around them. Why didn't they light any a fire? Right, because not all of them were so bad off that they couldn't. You yeah. Know. And like like Jack Hewitt was the only one that was really couldn't do anything like that, you know. But they could have kept him in the cabin, and they could have. Things don't make sense. It really doesn't. Yeah. <clears throat> but let us, you know, you guys let us know what you think about this episode. And, you know, if y'all have any... Ideas on episodes? Yeah, like, let us know. Like, hit up our Facebook. Hit up our Twitter. Hit us up on Anchor. It gives us our email address. You guys can email us if y'all have any questions, you know. Uh, we'd love to hear some feedback from you guys on things that you want to hear, things that we could do better. You know, we appreciate all the support that we've gotten from y'all. And, you know, this has been such an awesome experience for Britt and I to even start this. But, you know, let us know what you guys think, um, what y'all want to see us do, because this stuff is is interesting. You know, there's a lot in this case that would just didn't make sense. And... There's so many more out there like that that we probably hadn't even begun to discover. So let us know what y'all think. And as always, thank y'all for listening.